We don't know how long the wise men, or magi as Matthew names them, stayed with Mary and Joseph, but um, surely given the difficult journey they had undertaken, they didn't just drop off their gifts and leave. Hospitality for the stranger was paramount in that culture, and I have no doubt that Jesus wanted to hear the foreigner's story as much as they longed to tell it. Imagine Jesus, who was a toddler by that time, shyly watching the strangers from his mother's knee, then going from one to another as they watched him in delight and wonder. Then came the dream, warning them not to go back to Herod, and once again the Magi took to the road, their lives forever changed. They were not the only ones to start on a journey. For the second time in his life, an angel appeared to Joseph in in a dream, and this one came with an urgent message. Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. I can only imagine the terror that Joseph must have felt when he awoke. During their conversation with the Magi, Thomas Trager writes, the meaning of his child's birth... The promise of his life seemed in that bright and shining moment so momentous, so filled with hope. And now, this nightmare. The angel's warning brooks no delay. Frantically, Mary and Joseph pack their belongings, hiding the Magi's expensive gifts as best they can, then leave Bethlehem in the dead of night, shushing the child's cries, hearts pounding whenever they come near a Roman soldier. Theirs truly was a journey into the unknown. Imagine them asking directions to Egypt along the way, carefully doling out the Magi's gold to pay for food and shelter when the weather was too bad for them to sleep outside. And imagine what it was like for them when they arrived. They were refugees who, like so many others, then and now flee terror and violence in their homelands in a desperate attempt to find shelter and safety. I doubt that they were warmly received. After all, they were foreigners who didn't speak the language or understand the customs. They were probably viewed with just as much suspicion as refugees are today. Thank goodness they had the Magi's gifts. Without money from the sale of frankincense or myrrh, they would have been destitute. Even so, Joseph probably had to work hard to earn enough to put a roof over their heads and food on the table. So why did this family need to go all the way to Egypt? Couldn't they have just gone somewhere else in Judea? It turns out that because uh, it was on, Egypt was under Roman control and outside of Herod's jurisdiction, it became a place of, sa- of safety for many who fled Judea. But the writer sees other reasons for this journey to Egypt. As he will throughout this gospel, Matthew makes a connection between Jesus and Jewish scripture. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. This verse from the 11th chapter of Hosea calls to mind the story of Moses and the Exodus, that seminal event in Israel's history in which God delivered the people from slavery in Egypt. Mark Powell points out the incredible irony of the Holy Family's flight. In the Exodus story, Jewish infants are killed by the Egyptian pharaoh. Now Joseph and Mary flee to Egypt to escape another massacre, this one by a Jewish king. 
Which brings us to the part of the story that we would rather not read. The story of the slaughter of the innocent children in Bethlehem that was ordered by Herod the Great after the Magi failed to return to him. Though no record of such tragedy is preserved in history, Herod's paranoia and violence are well documented. The prophecy that Matthew connects with this heinous act, that of Rachel crying for her children, may lead one to think that God orchestrated this massacre. However, Matthew does not say this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, but then was fulfilled what had been spoken. Thomas Long writes, The subtle change in wording is important, for it stops firmly short of claiming that the murder of the children was God's will. The message is not that God summons evil to accomplish divine purposes, but that the scripture knows that the tragic human destruction woven into the fabric of history and, and not, that not even evil in its most catastrophic cor- form, evil is cold and merciless as the murder of innocent children can destroy God's ability to save. Matt Skinner points out that the reign of Herod was as close to the opposite of the reign of God as we can get. Invested in the status quo, dedicated to self-preservation, ruling by power and intimidation, Herod represents everything that God became human to overturn. But God also became human to suffer all that those young children and their grieving mothers suffered. David Lose writes, God in Christ identifies with all who have been driven from their homes by the threat of terror, all who are displaced by violence, all who flee in, in fear for hope, with hopes for but little assurance of a better future, and I would add, all who witness such violence and devastation. After Herod's dream, Joseph again becomes, excuse me, after Herod's death, Joseph again receives word in a dream. He packs up his family and begins the journey back to Bethlehem, only to shift their goal from that city to Nazareth. And here we have to understand that according to Matthew's gospel, Bethlehem, not Nazareth, was Joseph and Mary's hometown. If that is so, then the move to Nazareth, an obscure village in the northern state of Galilee, was also a journey into the unknown. Yet even this move is guided by God, for yet another dream confirms Joseph's decision to go to Nazareth. At every point along the way, God directs the Holy Family to a safe haven. The journeys that they undertake are not just journeys into the unknown. They are into a future that is in the hands of God, God's future for them, for the world, and for us. That safety and security for Jesus will not last, of course. As Eric Barato notes, from the very first, the road that Jesus walks is marked both by God's promises and human resistance. He will stay on the move during his ministry, traveling from village to village in Galilee, and eventually he will undertake a final journey to Jerusalem and into the unknown territory of death. Yet even then, as we well know, the future was in God's hands. We too are on a journey into the new, into the unknown into the unknown of a new year. Can you believe 2020? Seems like just 
Yesterday, we were worried about YK2 in 2000. So what will 2020 bring us? What joys, what sorrows, what challenges will confront us? We know, of course, some of the events that will take place, the elections, United Methodist General Conference, even some events to which we look forward to, weddings and births and graduations. But we don't know how our lives will change because of those events. We don't know what this future holds for us. And in many ways, we would rather it not change. We would rather just keep things as they are. We know what happens now. We know how it is now. We want to keep going like this. Yet however much we may resist change, however much we might long to remain in the safety of the known, God's claim on our lives sends us forth to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Caroline Lewis writes, The birth of Jesus doesn't allow us to stay long in one place or just to be. It demands that we go places against our will. Christmas is an inbreaking of God's love that is either going to send us to places we don't want to go or force us out of places because of the nature of what God has done. We are going to be on the move into this unknown. Thanks be to God, we do not undertake the journey that God lays before us without resources. We may not be the recipients of divine dreams and angelic visitations, but we have the wisdom of Scripture the witness of the church, the gifts of reason and experience, and each other's wisdom to guide us. We may not have the gift of the Magi, but we have an either gra even greater gift, the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ's ongoing presence, a presence that is with us in times of uncertainty, grief, and fear, as well as in times of joy and celebration, a gift that will guide us into the future, a future that remains and will remain in the hands of God. And so as we take our first steps into this new year and into that future of God, we pray, loving God, journey with us this year so that we may feel your presence, abide in your forgiveness, grow in your strength, and dwell in your heart. Give us open hearts, open minds, and open eyes so that we may sing your praise and follow your path always and everywhere. Amen.